is the same that you have in the, the pew there. Uh, last week we looked at chapter 4 and the great battle. Um, Jabin and Sisera and their 900 chariots defeated by Barak and the people of God. And as we said last week, chapter 5 is now a song uh, written to celebrate uh, the events, the great victory we read about in chapter 4. So if you missed last week, you should go back and listen to that so you're caught up. And uh, we'll look at the song today. Now, one of the uh, families uh, let me know that their children have a book at home about Barack and Deborah and the whole, the whole gang, and uh, that they were really excited that uh, we were going to study this song because they were sure that meant I would sing uh, the passage that we have in front of us. Now, I would really like to do that, but the problem is the Bible doesn't give us the tune. So if I had the tune, I would do it. But since we don't, I'll just have to read it, and you'll have to be satisfied with that. But understand, this was written to celebrate God's great work in their midst. So let's give attention then to God's word from Judges chapter 5. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying, When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured, the clouds also poured water, the mountains gushed before the Lord, this Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anat, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted and the travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased, it ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. They chose new gods, then there was war in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. Speak you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judges' attire, and who walk along the road. Far from the noise of the archers among the watering places, there they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, sing a song, arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. Then the survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for me against the mighty from Ephraim, were those whose roots were in Amalek. After you, Benjamin, with your peoples, from Mekir, rulers came down, and from Zebulun, those who bear the recruiter's staff. And the princes of Issachar were, th- were with Deborah, as Issachar, so was Barak, sent into the valley under his command among the divisions of Reuben. There were great resolves of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the pipings of the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. Why did Dan remain on ships? Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by his inlets. Zebulun is a people who jeopardized their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. The kings came and fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought in Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They took no spoils of silver. They fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away, that ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. O my soul, march on in strength. Then the horse's hooves pounded, the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. 
curse its inhabitants bitterly because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. He asked for water. She gave him milk. She brought out cream in a lordly bowl. She stretched her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera. She pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. At her feet, he sank. He fell. He lay still. At her feet, he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. The mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? Her wisest ladies answered her, Yes, she answered herself. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil? To every man a girl or two. For Sisera, plunder of dyed garments, plunder of garments embroidered and dyed, two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. Thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. So the land had rest for 40 years. Amen. This is the word of God. May the Lord bless it to us as we study it together this morning. Well, last week I received an invitation to a free concert uh, by the Count Basie Orchestra. And uh, when I received that, I was sort of shocked that uh, that orchestra was still performing. It was founded in 1935, and Count Basie's been gone since the 1980s, but apparently some of the band members have kept it going. And you could have gone uh, for free at the Buzzkirk Chumley last week and heard them playing the same songs that they've been playing for almost a hundred years. And uh, that's kind of surprising, actually. Uh, recognize then how truly amazing it is that we just read a song that's not uh, 90 years old, it's not 100 years old, it's over 3,200 years old. And the Holy Spirit saw fit to put this over 3,000-year-old song into the Bible for us, which implies that it is teaching truths that are eternal and truths that still apply to us today. It was, in fact, the same God who was active that they were celebrating his work in this battle back then who is at work in our world today. And sometimes we have to confess that it's hard to see that. It's hard to see God at work like we might like to see him at work. I think even this horrendous earthquake this last week to see thousands and thousands of people uh, killed in the, in the great devastation. And it's easy to say, well, where is God? What is God doing? We have all these ideas about how God should be active in the world and what he should be up to. And sometimes it's hard for us to see what, is, what in fact God is doing and how profound his work has been in the past and is still today. And what this passage calls your attention to is the fact that one of the greatest things God does in the world is he raises up faithful servants in the midst of a people and a generation who have turned away from him, uh, which makes this a very relevant message for us today because God is still doing this. God uh, takes people and changes their hearts and makes them his willing servants, even in the midst of a mass of people who have turned away from him. And so that's the main point as we look at the passage this morning, and this is in your outline. 
The fact that God inclines people to love and to serve him in the midst of a lapsed generation is cause for great celebration. And then it calls us then through Jesus to ask the Lord to make us his willing servants. And children, if you're going to draw a picture, I noticed many of you enjoyed drawing a picture of JL last week. So maybe this week we could draw Deborah as she sings and leads this song and listen to what she is celebrating. And if you'd like to follow along, there's an outline. You'll see the first thing we want to notice there is that you should celebrate God's mighty work of deliverance. And we see this in verses 1 to 5 of our text. So verse 1 tells us this is a song uh, of Deborah and Barak that they sang on that day. Later in the, in, the, in the song, it says, you know, sing Deborah, fight Barak, right? So that uh, they're sort of separating these two jobs. And, and this, is, uh, this is helpful for us to understand. Deborah writes this song uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to commemorate what has happened in this great victory, but also so that the song would be perpetually sung and that the great deeds of God would be celebrated uh, on into the future. And, and this reminds us, right, Deborah is the one who was the judge. She is the one who was leading the people at this time. And we talked before about how in, in the judges there were these kind of dual functions. There was the function of teaching the people and calling them back to the Lord, and there was the function of fighting and leading the, 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 the people in battle. And so Deborah here is a prophetess. She is speaking uh, the word of God, and it comes to us in this song. And uh, uh, Barak is sort of acting as the military leader. He's the one leading the people into battle. And so we have in these two people, these two functions of the judge. And, and we, as we look at the song, we recognize the song is thoroughly God-centered. Even in verse 2, and we'll come back to this idea where she talks about leaders leading and the people offering themselves the focus is at the end of that verse, bless the Lord, right? It is the Lord's work that she's celebrating. Same thing in verse three, she calls kings and princes uh, to listen to her song, but what is she doing? She's singing to the Lord, to Yahweh, the covenant God. She will praise him because all of this is his work. God is the hero in the story. And so then she goes on to describe the Lord in verses 4 and 5 as, as if he himself marched into this battle. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured, the clouds also poured water. And we said last week, it seems like there was a massive rainstorm happening in the midst of the dry season that caused that whole valley to flood and the Kishon River to overflow its banks which completely neutralized the chariots of the enemy. And so here it's, it's, it's describing this storm, but this is God coming across from the east. And you can see in your maps where Edom uh, is off to the right uh, and to the south, and this would be coming up. Uh, but, but notice that she goes on then to mention at the end of verse 5, Sinai also quaking or gushing before the Lord. And so Sinai, that's way down uh, in, in the, the Sinai Peninsula, in the wilderness, far away from this. So why the reference to Sinai? The point here is to remind them that this God who rose up 
and brought you out of slavery in Egypt and brought you to Mount Sinai and gave you the law. This is the same God who brought you into the promised land and it's the same God who's here fighting with you now. And that, that's the encouragement for these people. I put in the, the outline Psalm 68. We sang this earlier, verses 7 and 8. Oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, the earth shook, the heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. It's almost the same language we have there in Judges, celebrating God marching out with his people. And, and this is the idea that the, the deliverances of God are worthy of song. Exodus 15:1. after God had brought the people through uh, the Red Sea, what happens? Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. So this is the appropriate response, to recognize the deliverance of God and to then praise him for it. Uh, a number of our folks from the youth group uh, went to the women's basketball game at the university last week. It was so crowded, we, we weren't all able to sit together, unfortunately, so we were spread out all over the place. Uh, but it's been a, a very good week to be an IU basketball fan, a good couple of weeks, and there's lots to celebrate. And I don't know how many times we sang the fight song, but it, it was a lot that just gets played over and over and over again. And, well, people just join in singing, and especially when the team's winning. There's lots of, it's lots of enthusiasm when we sing it. And this is just sort of a natural response. And the scripture is reminding you that praise of God, that celebrating God's work is, should be the natural response when we think about the deliverance that God has given us as he's taken us uh, out of our sin and he's rescued us from the judgment that we faced. And, and this is why uh, songs in the scripture are such a blessing to us because they help orient us to the things that are really important. It's one of the great blessings of singing the Psalms that help us to develop a God-centered, a God-focused approach to praise that, that is full-orbed and that it deals with the, the, uh, the, the trials of life, the perseverance that's needed, and yes, the victory that God gives us. And, and part of what we're doing is training our minds to think and our hearts to praise the Lord for his mighty works of deliverance. And we should be doing this in our own lives, in our families, uh, in our church, obviously, as we celebrate God's work. Well, secondly, then, the, 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 the song helps us understand specifically that we should rejoice that God inclines people to love and to serve him in the midst of a lapsed generation. And we see this in verses 6 to 8. Um, before I go into verse, those verses, though, just a, a note that often in the Psalms or in the Scripture songs, the theme of the song is given right up front. And that is the case in this song as well. Verse 2, when leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. This is the specific thing that she is praising God for. That he raised up people to lead and others to follow. Uh, the people to do the work. He inclined men and women to love and to serve and to act on behalf of God. And this is happening in a context where the great majority of the people have turned away. They're not serving God. All the movement is away from God and toward the idols. And this is what the Lord has done. 
the situation was so bad. We read about this last week in verses six and seven. It tells us that the oppression was so great that village life had ceased, uh, that uh, people kept off the main roads. Uh, they were terrified as uh, Sisera and his army and all his chariots dominated the land. Now what's interesting is that she praises God for this change that happened. Verse eight, there's a number of verses in here that the, the, the translators have argued about a lot. And verse eight is an interesting example where in the translation we read it said, they chose new gods, then there was war in the gates. And if that's the right translation, then it suggests that the reason they were oppressed was because of their idolatry. And that certainly would be accurate. But in the actual original language, uh, the language is singular. He, uh, he chose, and the word that's used there for gods can also be translated leaders. And so an alternate way to translate this is that God chose new leaders, and then there was war in the gates. And, and if, if that's the proper translation, the suggestion is that what changed was God. God started working in people's heart, and then amidst of this people that had turned from God and that weren't fighting against their oppressors, they were just living with the oppression, God raised up leaders that moved the people to fight against the oppressors that had been ruling over them. And verse 9 sort of supports this idea, where again, Deborah says, my heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people bless the Lord, that these people came and gathered together. Remember, uh, she told Barak, go and gather 10,000 men to fight. And, and that actually happened, that 10,000 gathered. That was a, it was a massive response as God worked in the people's lives. In verse and te verses 10 and 11, then, she speaks aside to those who might be listening to the song uh, today. She speaks to those who ride on the white donkeys, those who would be the wealthy people who sit in judges' attire, or for, to those who walk along the road. So all classes of people, far from the battle, that they would still give glory to God for this work that he did in raising up the people, as it says at the end of verse 11, the righteous acts for his villagers, then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. This is what the praise is for, that God worked in these people's lives and they responded. And so that we have then in verses 12 and following is, is sort of a recounting, a muster of who showed up. And, and so we think, okay, this is where our, our eyes glaze over. It's a bunch of names. This doesn't matter. This is the whole point. This is the example. This is the specifics of whom God raised up to fight against this superior force and to do God's will. So yes, uh, in verse 12, she, she mentions uh, herself. She mentions Barak. But who is it that came down the hill from Mount Tabor to attack the chariots? Well, she mentions Ephraim uh, in verse 14. She mentions Benjamin. She mentions Makir. That's Manasseh on the east side of the Jordan River. And if you're looking at the little map that I gave you, these places are on the map. So the battle took place kind of right here, uh, uh, a little bit uh, north of the middle of our map in the Jezreel Valley. That's where the Kishon River is. And so... Um, the immediate tribes were right around there, Issachar and Zebulun. 
but uh, others came to help as well. And so he mentions uh, the group of uh, Manasseh uh, on the east side of the river. He mentions Ephraim, that's where Deborah was from, down farther south. He mentions Benjamin farther south, that these people rose to the challenge and they, they came. And they, these were not uh, trained soldiers, they were just ordinary citizens responding to the call. And this is contrasted then with those who didn't come. So it talks in verse 15 about uh, these great uh, searchings of heart, this angst that Reuben experienced. So Reuben is here on the east side of the Jordan River, down uh, here by the Dead Sea. And Reuben is thinking about the sheep and the livestock, and do I really want to go all the way up there? And in the end decides not to go. And then it mentions Gilead. So you see Gilead, that's uh, in Gad here, just um, also on the east side of the map. Uh, here, uh, Gad doesn't come. Uh, they stay uh, beyond the Jordan. And how about Dan? So Dan is on the coast down here, and then it mentions Asher on the coast up here. What did they do? They stayed uh, working with their ships. Uh, they were too busy uh, to come down and help. And what's implied here is that these people had an economic interest in not showing up to fight, that the status quo was apparently working out okay for them and they were willing to just sit on the sideline and let someone else take care of it. Ralph Davis in commenting on this says though Israel's deliverance is Yahweh's sovereign and mighty work his people are not to sit passively by they are to actively or to participate actively in his mighty work and we should be aware of that. I don't know if you've heard of the uh, college swimmer Riley Gaines who uh, just graduated from the University of Kentucky, is an all-American swimmer, and uh, professes to be a believer, uh, has put off her plans to go to dental school because she is trying to uh, be a voice promoting women's sports, uh, only women competing in women's sports. And of course, she's uh, criticized and attacked uh, as an anti-trans person, because she objects to what's been done uh, in the sport of swimming by having male, uh, biologically male swimmers compete. And, uh, and there are people like this who are willing to stand up and be hated by all the important people in the society in order to stand for truth. And whenever we see that, we should be praising God that he raises up people to do this kind of thing in a generation that is, by and large, not interested in it at, at all. And we need to acknowledge that if we were to sit around and wait for God, uh, sorry, if we were to sit around and wait for people uh, to rise up to do what needs to be done, we would be waiting a long time. This only happens because God changes our hearts. He puts it into our minds. He inclines us toward himself, and he puts it into our minds to do what he's calling us to do. And I find this one of the most encouraging things about being in the church is that we're constantly encouraged in this way that God raises up people and gives them grace, that they love him and that they're willing to serve him in the midst of a lost generation, something that we should celebrate. Well, thirdly, the text then also reminds you that it's a profound privilege to be used by the all-powerful God in his work. And we see this in verses 19 
to 27. So now after Deborah celebrates that God has brought all these people together uh, to fight, he, she now recounts the battle itself. She says in verse 19, the kings came and fought, the kings of Canaan fought. So these are the uh, sort of, we, we said, remember, Jabin was the, called the king of Canaan. So he seems to have uh, dominated these different city-states in Canaan. So these are the other city-state leaders, and they all come. Uh, they join together because, hey, there's going to be a, a, a fight. Uh, these Israelites have gathered together. And what's going to happen after we wipe them out with our 900 chariots? We are going to go on a rampage, pillaging, looting, and, uh, and this is why they're fully expecting to be enriching themselves through this fight. And so at the end of verse 19, when she says they took no spoils of silver, she's again reminding us that their plans were completely frustrated. They did not take any spoils because, as it says, the God of heaven fought from the heavens in verse 20. They fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. The torrent of the Kishon swept them away, that ancient torrent. So she's describing how it seemed as if God fought from heaven itself when he sent this storm and all the rain came down. And as the, the Israelites came down from Mount Tabor, there were all these chariots mired in the mud because the, 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 the brook had overflown its boundaries. And so their tactical advantage was completely lost and they're sitting ducks and the Israelites come down and completely wipe them out as God intervenes on their behalves. And so much so that their horses are left free to run, as it says in verse 23. Now, in the midst of this description of this glorious victory, verse 23 really stands out because she says, curse Miraz, said the angel of the Lord, curse its inhabitants bitterly because they did not come to the help of the Lord. Now we'll come back to this verse in a minute. But I want you to notice what's at the very end of verse 23, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. So this implies, right, that everyone who came out and was willing to risk their lives and their future, what are they doing? The Bible says they were helping the Lord. They were helping the Lord. And that, that is really profound if you understand what that means, that the God of heaven, who needs nothing from any of us, is pleased to use his people to actually do his great work. As Lawson Younger says, in the end, God will do his work whether we are involved in it or not. And that's true. But what a blessing to be involved in it. And so there's this great contrast when in verses 24 to 27, we move from Miraz, this group that didn't show up, they didn't come out when they were supposed to help, to Jael, who is presented as someone who did show up when it was time to show up. In verse 24, she's called the most blessed of women. And we said last week, this, this woman isn't even an Israelite, she's a Kenite. And her husband is a traitor against the Israelites and has moved up and is an ally with Sisera and with Jabin. And yet this woman chooses Israel's God and Israel's people. So she is most blessed. She took a radical risk and, uh, to actually kill the leader of the enemy forces. Now, uh, the narrative really slows down in verses 25 to 27 as she stretches out her arm 
and she gets the hammer and she splits his head by driving this, uh, this tent peg into his skull. And what the author, the, the song is doing is slowing everything down. This is like in the movie for dramatic effect, we go into slow motion uh, at the end of this critical scene to really emphasize what's happening here. We're, we're allowed to savor this victory. And, and some of us, again, it's challenging, right? Uh, a woman uh, 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 telling a man, hey, everything's okay, giving him uh, some milk to drink and then killing him. How can we approve of that? Um, Ralph Davis, I think about this, says helpfully, perhaps many of us in the West cannot rejoice when God smashes oppressors because we've really never been so oppressed or crushed by tyranny on a significant scale. And, uh, and that is the case. Um, if, if we had uh, an army killing, uh, pillaging, raping uh, through our society, we might feel very differently about what bravery it takes uh, for this woman, just a housewife, uh, to risk her life uh, to kill this evil man. Uh, but that's what this is reminding us of. Uh, I know we have a number of our young people here playing basketball. I think some are even trying basketball for the first time. I've probably told this story before, but when uh, I first started playing basketball, it seems that I didn't really want to touch the ball. And my parents, in order to try to encourage me to touch the ball, I think uh, came up with some incentive program that if I could just get a jump ball in the game, then I would get a reward. Because, see, you're, you're into the game. If you actually get a jump ball, you get your hands on the ball. And I think I've, uh, I've called this before, getting into the fray, as uh, one of my friends used to call it. You know, the kids, are, they're getting into the fray. That's a good thing when you're starting to learn how to do these things. And, and that's really what's happening here. We're, we're being told about God's work, and yet God is doing his work through his people. God could have opened up a giant crater in the earth and swallowed all the chariots. Uh, God could have sent massive hailstones and wiped out the whole army. Uh, God could have done any number of things, but he doesn't. He sends rain, he slows the chariots down, but it's his people who have to go and fight and win the battle. It's Jael who has to go and do what's necessary to get rid of the enemy commander. And, and this is because God has raised up people who will get into the fray. And, and, and this is the challenge for us, is to see the profound privilege you have at what the scripture says, helping God, of being a part of what God is doing. And uh, this is something for us to celebrate and to also then think about, how am I being used by God? Uh, Tim Keller, in speaking about this, says, what is the lesson for God's people? The lesson is that God wins. And so blessing is to be found in fighting for him and with him, putting ourselves in his service, whatever the odds or the likely cost. And that is a profound help to us. God does win, and we can fight confidently on his side. Now, fourthly, uh, there is a warning in this scripture, and that is that we are to beware the grave danger of refusing to serve the living God. Right? The harshest rebuke in this passage comes in in verse 23. Curse, Meraz. Uh, we don't know for sure where Miraz was, but it seems clear that they were close by the action and, and could have helped. 
It also seems that they are Israelite people, that they had every reason to be involved. Matthew Henry, speaking about this, says, the, the city of Miraz seems to have been at the time a considerable place, since something great was expected from it, but probably after the angel of the Lord had pronounced this curse upon it, it dwindled, and like the fig tree with, which Christ cursed, it withered away so that we never read of it again uh, after this scripture. Uh, interesting thought. Uh, but these are people who did not get into the fray. They did not turn up when the opportunity was there. And uh, Barry Webb, speaking about this, says, in some circumstances, doing nothing can be the worst of all sins. And as we said, Miraz is put there in verse 23 to contrast with Jael in verse 24, because again, these are Israelites who don't show up. Jael is a non-Israelite, and she does show up. And this, again, reminds us, the issue isn't your background, it isn't your family tree, it's whether you love and serve God. And why this is so serious, Lawson Younger, I think, says it well. Those who do not participate in the battle against Sisera are guilty of apathy and of indirect support of the enemies of God, and by implication, their gods. So by not getting involved, they are, in essence, supporting indirectly the enemies of God and their false gods that they worship. And, uh, and so this again comes back to us uh, when at the end of the song, uh, Deborah reminds us the fate of those who do not love and serve God. And she does this by describing Sisera's mother. It's quite poetic. So now this ends with a contrast, Sisera through the eyes of Jael, Sisera through the eyes of his mother. And the picture here is she's looking out. Why is he not back yet? And then she says, oh, I know why he's not back yet. He's plundering and looting. In my translation, she says, um, she says to every man a girl or two. If you had the ESV, the translation is a womb or two. And, th and that's accurate. This is a way to say, you know, of course, they're out raping and looting and pillaging. And, and this is with the approval of his mother. Of course, this is what she thinks is good. And uh, this is by Deborah then a profound statement about the inevitability of judgment for all those who would fight against God and his people. We sang earlier in the service from Psalm 112, the wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. And that's what we see here. And, and note how perfect the judgment against Sisera is. That this man who was a serial abuser of women is killed by a single woman in her tent. That's God fitting the punishment to the crime uh, perfectly. And of course, the eternal judgment that goes with that uh, is perfect, it's fitting, and it's, in, it's inevitable. And so for those who reject God, there is nothing to be expected but judgment. And I think we understand that from our scripture, but what this uh, whole song is reminding us that it is and maybe harder for us to grasp it, is that judgment is also awaiting those who just wait on the sidelines and just don't get involved. 
so yes, Sisera at one point, but then the city of Miraz is cursed as well. And their only sin is that they just didn't do anything. They didn't show up when they were needed. And perhaps this is what Jesus meant when he said in Luke 11, verse 23, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. That there is no uh, place of neutrality. You either serve the Lord Jesus or you are working against him. And, uh, and so we need to know. It needs to be clear what side we're on. Uh, it doesn't mean we need to be obnoxious, but we need to be clear. And one thing we can say about jail is that it was clear what side she was on. Uh, she made that clear. And I think for us, the temptation, of course, is to just keep our heads down and to blend in and to do as little as we can to draw attention to ourselves. And that's not the message that this scripture is giving us. It's reminding us that we need to come to God's side. We need to show up when it's time to show up. And we need to be clear about who we are and who we serve. So beware the grave danger of refusing to serve the living God. And then finally, through Jesus, ask God to make you his willing servant. Verse 31 is a beautiful conclusion. Thus let all your enemies perish, Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in its full strength. This is the prayer, that we would be those who love God, or some of your translations say friends of God, and that we would shine in the world in the brightness of the sun. What a great summary of the whole song. None of us are by nature friends of God. None of us love God. None of us jump into the fray on God's side willingly if left to ourselves. We are all like the city of Miraz. Not our problem. Let's just stay on the sideline. Let's hide. But Jesus Christ comes into the world as the true friend of God and as the friend of sinners. And Jesus jumps into the fray on our behalf. And it's not even his fight. He comes in uh, because it's, it's our problem. We've created the problem. And yet he comes in on our behalf and he suffers and dies in our place and he lives perfectly in our place. And in Jesus' sight, you and I are no different than Sisera in our lostness and on our hatred for him. And yet Jesus takes all that on himself so that he can give us life. And he's the one that inclines your heart to serve him. He's the one that enables you to be served by the living, or to serve the living God, the all-powerful God. He's the one that can make you a friend of God. And he's the one who ultimately gives you rest. You see how the, the whole song ends with this part afterwards. So the land had rest for 40 years. This is the gift of our Lord Jesus. So Jesus says to you, let your light shine so before men that when they see your good works and glorify, they will glorify your Father in heaven. Or he says again, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus himself calls his people uh, the brightness of the sun. That's because of his work. So you have a great cause for singing that the Lord makes you a friend 
of God and makes you a willing servant so that you can serve him. And that's, that's the lesson we want to take away. Even as we go to prepare for the Lord's Supper this afternoon and come back to the table, uh, that we would be reminded that Jesus is the one who's come into the fray on our behalf. And he's the one that inclines your heart and enables you to serve God in the midst of a lapsed generation. We come to be fed by him, to be strengthened by our Lord. And let's pray and ask him to help us in this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the miracle that's described here. Uh, the real miracle is that you raised up people in the midst of a whole generation that had turned away from you. People who loved you and people who were willing uh, to risk their lives to do what needed to be done. And Lord, we thank you that that is the work that you're still doing in our world today. That you raise up uh, men and women to serve you. And we confess, Lord, uh, that we don't appropriately appreciate what it means to be used by the living God as you accomplish your work. We pray that you would help us to trust you, to see the wonderful privilege we have. And Lord, that by your grace, you would make us willing servants of the Lord Jesus Christ to do whatever you call us to do, no, no matter how difficult. And that you would help us to do that in the midst of a people who do not love and serve you. How we thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus who came and entered into our problem uh, so that we could be your friends and your servants. We pray these things in his name. Amen. And we'll sing uh, back our praise to the Lord now from Psalm 110. So if you serve this, uh, turn to Psalm 110, selection D. One of the things that speaks about the Messiah very, very clearly uh, the Lord has said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. But at the beginning of the second uh, stanza there, it reminds us that one of the things that Jesus does as the Messiah is he gathers a people willing to serve him. Your people freely come throughout your day of power uh, from morning's dawn in holy robes. They come to serve the Lord. And that's our great hope that the Lord Jesus raises up willing servants. Let's stand and we'll sing our praise to him.